0: Okay, I'm going to start it here, all right? I want to know, I, I, want to, I want to show you, could you guys switch me over? I want to show you a scripture that is in my mind one of the most amazing, confounding, exciting, exasperating, um, incredible, and kind of terrifying scripture in all the Bible. I, when you first see it, I don't think you'll think that, but wait till I get done with you on this, okay? I want you to see this particular scripture, all right? Thank you, guys. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. Now, I just want to make something clear on that, okay? Uh, this is not a Tithe sermon. Now, just the fact that I have to bring up the fact that it's not a Tithe sermon just tells you something already about human nature which is how far we are from what God is doing, I want you to think about why is that scripture exciting? Why is it amazing? Well, because they sold everything. (laughs) And they gave it so that nobody had any need. So that's exactly what makes it terrifying. Because how many of you in here are willing to do that? I mean, let me make it clear. I've got nothing and I'm not willing to do that. <laughs> okay? So the fact is, it is, an, it is an astounding and frightening because of how far away we are from what it is that God is laying out. Always remember something that's really cool about the Bible. God is showing us in the Bible the way things are supposed to be. Now, oftentimes He does that by showing us what not to do. Right? There's a lot of good negative examples in the Bible. But but then there are these times when God wants to do something new and in order to do that new thing, we're actually so far away from what it is that God wants to do that He actually has to touch a community to be it. That's what the beginning of Acts is. Those first chapters there when the church is first building, that is the church that God says... I'm, you, you guys are so far from what the church is supposed to be, and it's new to you all the way. I'm going to touch you, and I'm going to make you look like what I say it could and should look like. And then what happens is, there comes a time. He gave us real free will, so he's not going to continue to touch in a way that we simply are without choosing it. So what he does is he says, Okay, now I've showed you what it looks like. Now, for the rest of time, this is your plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? Right, This is what a carpenter uses in order to figure out what truly is straight up and down. And what you do is, is the, you, you, you put it up there and you may snap it or do whatever, but the bottom line is, is that you, you put the plumb line there and then everything that you do off of that is you now are true. That's the word that they use. You're true to what's truly straight up and down. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is this plumb line that God left in the, in the world and what he's saying is, this is what's straight up and down, now be true to it. (laughs) And we can look at our lives, and we can look at a passage like this, and we can say, I don't really want to do that. (laughs) I'm not true to it. I'm at some angle that I think I'm good, but I'm not actually right there, am I? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at how they got there. And again, this is not about tithe whatsoever. This is about something that is much more fundamental than that much more cool than that, much more, as impossible as that seems, we're actually going to make the thing that we're asking you to do more impossible. But then what we're going to do is we're going to see how actually it's already happening. Actually, it's already taking place in our midst, because everything that we're doing in this simple series is what? We're showing you things that are critical to your walk, and what we're saying is they're actually incredibly more simple than what you think. They're incredibly more natural and normal. We've made things religious and put them out of reach. And God is trying to make them, he's trying to reveal to us, no, it's already happening. I just want you to pick up on that and run with it. So that's where we're headed today. Oh, Will Lees, this is awesome. A leader of our college group, worship steering team, worship leader, all kinds of things. Also, seminary student. So big props to you, all right? Lift up the sermon, lift up another church. Lord,
1: I just thank you for um, that moment in worship this morning of us being the bride, confessing our love for Mm -hmm. you as the groom. And Lord, uh, we just recognize that you are holy, that you're almighty, that you're living and active. And Lord, you can speak whatever you want to speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts. We don't assume that our hearts are good soil. (laughs) But Lord, we want our lives to bear fruit. Amen. So God, in the places where we're rocky, I pray that You would just smooth us out and let our hearts be ready to receive Your Word this morning. Thank you, Lord. Lord I pray for Kurt just uh, that the Thank message would come forward, that Your Word would be planted in our hearts. Lord, I pray for um, Eastside Foursquare also this morning. Lord, I pray that You would bless their services. Uh, that as a our sister church, that You would make Amen. us one, even
0: in spirit, with them. Amen. In Jesus name. Amen. Great prayer. Well, thank you. All right, so like I said, we're doing our simple series. And again, we're looking at these critical aspects of the Lord. And what we're doing is that we're seeing that doing these things is actually much easier, much more natural, much more simple than what we know. And so going back to here is our sort of the thing that we're bouncing off of. This idea of they sold whatever they owned and pulled the resources so that each person's need was met. That doesn't sound simple at all. <laughs> that sounds like incredibly difficult, incredibly far away. And so we asked the question, why did they do this? What was going on that made them do this? Well, there's a couple of things that I think are primary. There's other things too, but there's a couple of things that we, we could make the argument are primary. There's actually something that's more primary. But just, on the, just thinking about it, if you were in that day and age and you were there, what are the things that are happening that make you think that selling everything and giving it away to people that have need, it makes sense. You know, it's not about your 401 and your IRA and all that kind of stuff and your future and even your house and even your current circumstances. What takes you to that place? Well, I I think right here, they thought Jesus was going to return. They thought that he was going to be there like tomorrow. (laughs) And you know, 401ks just don't mean nearly as much if Jesus is going to be here tomorrow. (laughs) Right? And the whole idea of giving. Now, we do want to make something really clear. It really ought not matter if Jesus is coming back tomorrow or a thousand years from now in how we behave. There really ought not be any difference whatsoever. That doesn't mean that there isn't. There is. (laughs) And we're not going to go too deeply into that. We're just going to recognize the fact that we are far from what God wants, what God is saying He has for us. There's a freedom, right? We have possessions that possess us, (laughs) okay? You know, now they also provide shelter and they also do other things. But just just, all right, we get the dynamic. So the point is the idea that Jesus is coming back tomorrow makes them think, okay, I don't need to worry about all that stuff. We're not supposed to worry anyway, but I don't need to worry about it. Jesus is coming back. I really want to be in on this, okay? Now, I do want to note something. It's not just in Christianity that this happened. All throughout the ages, even until today, you'll still have some cult raise up somewhere and some guy will say something and everybody will think that there's something wonderful or they're saying something about God or whatever. And people will sell everything and give all their money, right? So this kind of stuff still happens today, but it is in very isolated pockets and it is cultish because everybody else looks on it and just goes, why, that's crazy, You know, what you're doing, the reason why you're doing it, it's not just that they sold everything, it's what you're going after here, Scientology, whatever, what you're going after, that's nuts, okay? Now, there was a factor that was going on in the apostles' lives right now that actually made the idea that Jesus was coming back seem like it was pretty real. What was it? Miracles. Miracles. There were miracles happening all the time. I I really want us to get a hold of something. I think that we make a tremendous mistake when we think back historically, just typically. We sort of go from the full-on color that we have to a black and white, simple, flickery reel. Like somehow the people back there weren't quite as smart, weren't quite as discerning, weren't quite as wise, could be more easily tricked, I would would tell you that if you really study history a lot, you'll actually come to the opposite conclusion. We are much more gullible right now because it's not as critical. I keep saying prosperity just allows you to let your guard down. When you're in more of a desperate strait, you tend to be more discerning about charlatans. But the bottom line is, is these guys are doing miracles and I want you to see the reaction of the community. See, the apostles are performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade, but no one else dared join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. See, when I look at cultish people, I don't want to join them because I don't have high regard for them. But you tell me if all of a sudden you saw what they were seeing. You know leprosy? And and skin diseases and so on. That was a big problem there because of the leathers and because of the treatments and so on. They had a lot of problem with skin diseases. And there were very prescribed ways of knowing. It wasn't like, oh, my back is hurting and now my back doesn't feel bad anymore. So a subjective thing that you might know, and it might even be true that God healed you, but nobody else could see it. There's these prescriptions in the Old Testament about skin being healed. And from Jesus to the apostles, you're seeing people with these skin diseases go to the temple guard, I mean to the temple priests and show them that they're healed. But can I say something? That was the least of it. You remember the guy that was being brought to the temple every day to beg, and Peter goes, by silver and gold have I none. What I do have, I give to you. Stand up and walk. This wasn't a guy who was just, you know, feeling badly about walking. (laughs) This was a guy who couldn't walk. And everybody knew that he couldn't walk. Because they're all going to the temple too and they see him there. And they see his legs and they can tell. He cannot walk. And now all of a sudden he's walking. And people that are blind are seeing. And people that are ill are not ill anymore. And women with issuance of blood, it's healed. And there's this, you know, the atmosphere here. Everything about what is going on here is, there is something going on here that is so much bigger than what I can explain. And it's all really good stuff. It's not about selling everything so that someone can get rich. It's about the fact that people are being healed, which is a, you know, a a marker for, and Jesus is coming again. People are being healed. Life is different than what I thought it was. And Jesus is coming again. The kingdom is coming. This is, you see, all of a sudden it becomes really easy for you to make this decision. And just to show you one last point about this, just to really bring it home, I want you to see how wise and discerning they were and that this whole idea of things happening that are something that make people move, but but they don't actually stay there. Watch this. See, the apostles are being arrested all the time, right? Repeatedly arrested. And the angels are letting them go, and they're still doing healings, and they're ministering to people, and thousands are coming, and all of this stuff is happening. And that's a really big problem for who? The religious leaders. Because they just killed Christ. And they were trying to kill this thing. And so what happens is, is all of a sudden they start going you know, we're arresting you to make you shut up, to quit talking about this Jesus and so on. And finally, they keep telling them, don't talk about Jesus, don't talk about Jesus, don't talk about Jesus. And they say, you know, you you be the judge. Should we talk about it or not? You know, whatever. And so they actually arrest him one time. They come in and they preach to these guys. (laughs) And it makes them so mad that when they heard that, the religious leaders, they were furious and wanted to kill him on the spot. But one of the council members stood up a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. A teacher of God's law who was honored by everyone, he ordered the men taken out of the room for a short time. And then he said, fellow Israelites, be careful about what you're doing with these men. Not long ago, Theutis made something of a splash claiming to be somebody and got about 400 people to join him. He was killed and what happened? His followers dispersed. Nothing came of it. A little later, at the time of the census, Judas, a Galilean, appeared, acquired a following. He also fizzled out, and the people following were scattered to the four winds. So I'm telling you, hands off these men, let them alone. If this program or work is merely human, it'll fall apart. Haven't we seen that even to our day? We see people rise up. We see people do things like sell everything. We see people do things like join them in ways and so on. But the fact is, it falls apart, Right? On the other hand, if it's God, there's nothing you can do about it, and you better not be found fighting against God. <laughs> I really love that guy, right? I mean, what a great word. And the bottom line is, now here's where we are. So we've just established that there's two pretty strong reasons why people would be initially excited. A lot of miracles and Jesus coming again. That would make, that would make if, if I had that happening right now, I would think about selling everything. I'm not sure if I'm a net good to the good right now or not, so I don't know if it helped help very much, but bottom line, I'd look at selling everything. See what I mean, Sam? So here's the big question for us. Why didn't it fall apart when Jesus didn't come again? Why didn't it fall apart when the miracles started to decrease in number? I think miracles are unbelievably important for today and frankly they're quite evident in this body. There's a lot that goes on that God is still doing miraculously and there's a lot more that he would be going on if we had moved from where we are to where he actually wants us to be but there's such a gulf in between there that there's a lot of problematic stuff in between the two. The circus and the show and all the stuff that takes place. But the bottom line is this isn't against miracles at all but I just want to say something. At the very time that it is becoming clear that Jesus is not coming again right away. And the very time that miracles are decreasing, which is the time at which you would think that people would start getting pretty disappointed. Right? I mean, at some point in time, don't you think they'd start saying, wow, you know, I sold everything and this turns out, you know, Jesus isn't coming again and miracles are decreasing and I want my money back. (laughs) Right? Right? But instead of saying that at the very time that it's becoming clear that Jesus is coming and miracles are decreasing, at that very time, the church is actually exploding. Why? Well, there's two reasons. One of them is internal and personal. And one of them is what we're actually talking about today. Here's the internal one. The reason why it didn't fall apart when Jesus didn't come again and miracles started to decrease was is because God had done something real inside. The Holy Spirit had come and made a new creature, made a new nature. There was a new thing happening inside. And what happened was, you know, when God starts doing stuff that is so personal and so intimate, so fingerprint unique to you, when you start growing in the way that you do, when you've come to know Christ, when He really is moving in your life, when you're really following the Holy Spirit, and you see all the things that He's leading you in the way that He's leading you, God becomes so real, so intimate, so everything, that it doesn't matter if He comes back tomorrow or a thousand years from now. And again, not to decry miracles, but it doesn't matter if miracles happen or not. Because there's something so big happening in you. All that other stuff just doesn't matter anymore. So this is the personal inside thing. But there is this other thing that takes place. Think about it. In the book of Acts, how many times does it say, and I think that this is an important thing for all of us to do, but how many times does it say, and so the apostles were faced with a problem, and so each went to his own home, and into their private prayer closet, and they prayed a prayer. How many times does it say that? Never. Not once. What does it say over and over and over again? I've got a slide out of order, all so I'll fix it. It says this over and over again. What they did was they got together. They were in a community. I want you to think about something. See, here's how it says it. Again, I'm, I'll, I'll run it. Look, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful, as they praised God. People in general, everybody meaning all of them and everybody, liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those that were saved. Were people coming because of the miracles? Were people coming that didn't know the Lord because He was about to come again? In the end, no. In the end, actually what they're saying, what was adding to their numbers every day, was not the miracles. What was adding to the numbers every day was people were getting together and being one with one another in a way that the world was going, that looks good. That looks like something I need. What? See, God creates everything, right? Very back at the very beginning. And he, he, you know, he makes light, and it was good. And, and then he separates things, and it was good. And then he separates some more things, and it was good. And then he starts creating things, and it was good. And he looks at all the good things he'd done, he said, it was very good. But then what? Oops. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The first time that he said not good was man being alone. Let me ask it this way. How many people do you know that have accepted Jesus Christ, let him go into their hearts, but then become an isolated person, that lone wolf, that thing that can be picked off? How many people do you know that have become isolated in their faith and lost their faith because of it? Now, I'm not saying forever, but I'm saying they went through a crisis of faith because maybe Christians are hypocritical, which they can be. Or maybe they're this, or maybe they're that, or whatever the reasons are, there's this thing. Always remember something. See, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. Here's what Satan is the opposite. Where God is trying to bring everybody together, Satan is always trying to take everybody apart. He's trying to make them alone. And I'm telling you, when you're alone, you're so vulnerable. You can just be totally picked off. You just get things a little twisted and a little... If you were just in community with somebody, people would say, that doesn't make any sense. That's not the way it is. (laughs) Here, be with me. I actually think it goes deeper than this. I actually think it goes to a place of love. I think that when people are surrounded by love, it calibrates them. It locates them in the world. I think that when people aren't feeling love... They're spiraling and trying to find a location. You see what I'm saying? Family is a metaphor that this church is using more and more because we're just seeing more and more that if you want to understand what a church is, there isn't a more powerful metaphor. There isn't a more powerful concept than family. So we're going after it big time. But can I say what real family is? Because see, when I say family, here's what a lot of people think. You know, my family is interesting. I happen to be from a good one, but most people, you know, they're like, you know, family's not necessarily all good. I get that there's some good stuff about it, but come on now, you know, weird one and tough and, you know, conflict and sibling rivalry and, you know, parents and they drive you back into a role and, you know, family is a messed up, kinked thing. You want to know what God meant family to be? What his heart was for family. I am praying not only for these disciples. This is Jesus' last prayer. And he's already prayed for the disciples. Now look what he says. I'm praying not only for the disciples, the ones that are right here, but for everyone who's ever going to believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I want to say, one with God and one another is where this church started. That was our original motto. That was our original saying and everything else. And we've changed it over time to love God, love others, change the world because it seemed more active verb. Actually, there's, for about three or four months now, I feel like God's telling I just think about the church now as one with God and one another that the church would know. That there is something when you get together with people and you go past just relationship. Think about it. What's the most intimate relationship that you can have in the world? Typically, it's a spouse. If Julie were to get some fatal disease right now, is there, wouldn't, does it, in a heartbeat, I would say, God, make it me, not her. I would give my life. I would want to trade me for her any day of the week. And I hope and think she would want to do the same. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not, you know. But, But think about it, see. When he says family, he's not just talking about blood relatives. He's talking about us. He's talking about becoming so close to one another. What wouldn't I do for Will? I was thinking about this. You know, we thought it was so weird that people sold everything and gave so that everybody had need. I don't want a show of hands just because. I don't want to steal your blessing from heaven. But hasn't virtually every single person in this place at some time or another, to, a, to the point that it hurt you, given money to somebody who was not a blood relative, but because you loved them and they had need? I'm not not talking 20 bucks, even though 20 bucks can be a lot of money. I'm talking about, hasn't everybody done something at some point in time for somebody else? And I say that and I get some quizzical looks. I just want to say, that is what we're supposed to be. And in fact, it's, it's happening. Dave Brunk goes down to Mexico for cancer treatments. Tens of thousands of dollars are given through the church to help him live. This is just true. We're already doing the sell everything and give so that no one has a need. Now, we're not doing it fully, but we're there. We already get it. There's already something in us that when you become close to somebody. So here's the key. How do you really become close with somebody? Here's how you can't do it. There's, not, there's, a, there's a lot of people in the room right now. That doesn't mean there's a ton of people. Here's what you cannot do. You cannot become that kind of friend, this one with friend. You can't become that close with every single person in this room. You can't do it. It's just too many. You only have so many Lego parts on your Lego. This is a guy that, down in San Diego that talks about, and he says, he says our relationship capacity is just like a Lego thing. It's got those little bumps. And he said we all have just so many bumps that can be filled, and once they're filled, they're filled. And you're just not going to be able to connect anything else to it unless you take something else out. We just have so much capacity. Turns out, research-wise, it's about 12. You get 12 people in your life, and you start living life with them. You hear their stories. But then something bad happens to somebody, and everybody rallies around, and everybody ministers too. And then it goes to somebody else, and then it goes to somebody else. And then you rejoice in something, and then you do this. And all of a sudden, you get this... Uh, you know, Oops! If one part hurts, every part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every part enters into the exuberance. This is the body being one. If a part is hurting, everybody's pouring out for them. If a part is celebrating, everybody's celebrating with them. And it's just like if it was you. This is where we get to. This isn't just where we get to. This is what we were literally built to be. Period. And when we enter into it, I said earlier, there's a personal intimate thing that happens. It's a seed, right? That's what it's literally called. But the seed grows best in a field. What God is doing is is that he has built us to lift each other's hands, to lift each other's hearts, to be in relationship, to love so deeply that you are connected in that way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are connected and you are living off of that love. You are living in the presence of not just God, but one another in fullness. Now that's an image for you. Now I'm going to just do something here. There's so many people that I could have had give a testimony here, but Eric, come on up. Okay, and we're right on time, so we're, we're just great here. But here's the point, okay? This is Eric Lee. Now, if you know Eric Lee, Eric Lee is an, an unbelievable, amazing guy. Do I have a microphone for him? Thanks. Now, but if you know Eric, you know something about Eric. Eric's careful. Eric doesn't get involved. And just uh, Eric is a guy I don't have to worry about what I ask him for because he'll say no to me about four-fifths or more of the time. <laughs> now, I've got to tell you, I like that. Because that makes me know that I can actually ask and they're not going to do it out of some other sense of something. They're going to do it because they went to the Lord and they really believe in it and so on. Eric is very careful and picky about what he gets involved in. And if you know him well, you know what a big deal it is when Eric says, yeah, I want to be involved in that. Well, here's what Eric's getting involved in. Small groups. He believes in them. There's something that we're doing with the intergenerationality of them that is truly on his heart. There's other things. But Eric, tell us. Why small groups?
2: Wow, I tell you, you get up here and all the words just fall right out of your head. (laughs) Um, So about eight or nine years ago, uh, Tamara and I wanted to be involved in a small group. Um, But the, the stereotypical traditional format of like an hour and a half long Bible study, we were able to do that when it was just the two of us and we didn't have kids. But at that time, we had... We had four kids, eight, six, five, and two, I think, or somewhere around there. And it just it wasn't feasible for us to do uh, the, the traditional sort of Bible study small group. So we decided to do something a little different. Uh, and we got uh, together with some other families who also had uh, little kids, and we decided to do a small group that was a lot less structured. Uh, we had a meal together. Um, we would meet uh, every other week, so only twice a month. Um, but we would eat a meal together and get ourselves and all of our kids fed. Uh, sometimes we would do a little organized activity, like maybe 10 minutes, and that's about all that the kids could handle. But we had everyone together doing it. And over the period of time, uh, we started to fall in love with each other. And it was it was a very simple thing, like Kurt was talking about. Uh, we, it wasn't a big program. There wasn't a lot of planning and, and detail that went into it. We were just getting together and living life. But... You know, we we walked each other through uh, all of life's difficulties, Uh, major life events, uh, getting married, uh, unemployment difficulties, uh, cancer scares. Uh, We were helping each other with uh, uh, folks who had financial difficulties, uh, helping each other in major, substantial ways. I mean, I just... You know, this is, Kurt really took all the words that I wanted to say because he just said them in the last five minutes. And, you know, we we were uh, doing this. And, and it wasn't all perfect. There were struggles and difficulties. Uh, but we fell in love with each other. And, uh, you know, recently God has seen fit to kind of disperse that group, kind of like what he did with the Jerusalem church. You know, after they went through this amazing time uh, of of sharing everything together, then God brought some persecution and they were scattered. And so now folks who are part of our small group, they're in Reno and San Jose and Hawaii and China. Uh, So, you know, so it's it's not the same thing that it was, but I still have those lifelong friends uh, who will always, always be my friends, even if I only see them once every five years because they're in China. But we have shared life together. And as Kurt said, you know, you can't do that in this room. People think that coming here on a Sunday morning that this is church. This is not church. That's right. This is nice. This is good. This is important. in the teaching that Kurt shares, that's great. But this is not church. That's right. It's getting together with a few other people, 10, 12 other folks, and sharing life and falling in love. That is church.
0: Thank you, Eric. Thank you. The first small group that I got involved with, I was in my early 30s. I regret that I didn't do it in my early 20s, if not earlier, because of how much I gained from it. But I just want to share with you, we were down in Venice, and it was a Bohemian church. I mean, the, def- the full-on definition of Bohemian. There was a whole lot of artists. There was a whole lot of musicians. It was it was Venice, California. Come on, you have to have something wrong with you to live there. okay? <laughs> And and we were there, and we were together, and I'm telling you, we started getting together and just meeting and going through life together, and God just did this thing that He does. And we just fell in love with each other, and I mean, we all knew each other beforehand, and we would have done stuff. We really liked each other. We would have done stuff for each other. But I'm telling you, when we started getting together intentionally as a small group, not about the Bible study, we did that, and sure, that was something, but that just so was not it. The it was... God was knitting us together as one. Lord, help me here. So much so that it's been 20-plus years now since I've been with those people. I moved to Jackson and then to here, and, and it's been almost 20 years ago that our group was together. And 11 days ago, Debbie McMahon, the gal on the right, just died suddenly. There was no warning. There was no anything. She just died. That's Mike and Debbie. Some of you know these guys because you know how close we were because when we first moved here, they came up how many times and did worship and did concerts for us and all that kind of stuff. And Mike and Debbie would come up and take us on vacation and, you know, let us get a rest and do all this kind of stuff. And I mean, just absolutely knit together. And and then I get this call on Tuesday morning from Mike and he can't even breathe. I mean, he can't talk. He's just... He can't get the words out of his mouth. And I said, do you want me there? And he just, yeah. And literally, I found the quickest plane I could get out. And I was down there, and I was was driving up to their house. Now, this has been 20 years since our group. 20 years. But God knit us together so much that I drove past a place where there had been an art thing in Santa Barbara. And I went past there, and I almost just completely lost it. If you know me, I'm not a crier. I just don't, I'll tear up for a moment, but then something kicks in like a guy does and I back off, right? <laughs> and I mean, I just had this thing that just just caved me in and then I drove up this little canyon in Santa Barbara and I got to the driveway, which goes, there's a big dip and then it goes off to the left and then it comes back to the right and then their house sits up here. And I and I and I got to that driveway and literally, as my wheels hit the driveway, I had to stop the car because I couldn't, Go on. <laughs> this person is still so much a part of me. And I know that she's in heaven. But she's still so much a part of me that the pain of being in her house, a place that I have fellowship with her and been with her for so many years, the pain of that made it to where I literally parked the car. It's about 1.30 in the morning and I thought, I'm going to have to go get a hotel room. I can't do this. I mean, I really said that. And I sat there for, I don't know how long it was, but it wasn't a second. And then what I finally got to was, is Mike needed me. And I just had to push through. If it hadn't been for Mike, I promise you, I would not have gone up to that house. I couldn't. 20 years, and the connection is so deep that it's just like if Julie had died. That kind of oneness, that kind of intimacy. I'm telling you, this is what God is trying to do. When Eric says, the church is not Sunday morning. This is an important place to be. But the church is this community. In that group, in those ones that he has called us to. That is, I don't think the church would be worth it if it weren't for that. It would still have value. But it just, let me put it this way. Losing Debbie. Real quick, and then we're going to do something that is totally different. And so, ushers, would you come forward? And like I say, we're going to take a quick offering. And then what we're going to do is—is is we're going to, as we've been doing in this whole series, we have been saying we want you to experience what this thing is that we're talking about. And today, what we're talking about is small groups. And so we have a time planned for you in a room with some people of your own you know, that you're likely to connect with. And I'm just really asking you, I know that this is uncomfortable for some people right now. All the introverts are going, doggone it, Kurt. You just don't know how bad this is for me. Can I just ask you, I'm just begging you, please don't leave. Please follow the yellow brick road. Follow the lines. Julie's going to explain it as we take the offering. But I'm asking you to follow the, follow the path and go to the room. There's food there. And what we want you to do, there's, there's, there is a plan for there, but what we want you to do is we want you to connect. Okay? We just want you to talk. There's going to be facilitators there. It's not going to be awkward. We're going to be helping you. So would you just trust me? And Lord, in Jesus' name, as we take this offering right now, I'm asking you, God, that this would be us saying, I'm in. And I'm not just in with a check. I'm not just in with some cash. I'm not just in because I gave some money. I'm in because you have so much more for me. For us, that you have this community, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being intimately one. You have something for us that is so much better than all of our possessions. That when we get there, we would gladly give all that we had. And we do gladly do so. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, even now as we give this offering... We say, I'm in, all the way, in Jesus' name. Thank you.